0: Uh, yeah, so my name's Marcellus, um, uh, I grew up in um, South East London, we moved to Heathfield when I was 11, um, I was in the police for uh, about 10 years, and then about 6, 7 years ago, I left the police, I'm now one of the pastors at King's Church in Heathfield, uh, same name, which makes everything very helpful, so I can say things like, welcome to King's, and it doesn't really matter where we are. Um, I'm married, I've got three children who are 12, 11 and 8 and no one knows if I'm right or wrong, do they? My wife's not here to correct me, neither is anyone else. It it is lovely to be here with you guys this morning, Uh, it's lovely to worship you guys. Um, I had a conversation with this lady whose name I forget, Liz. Liz. We were talking about uh, things that she liked to do. She doesn't like to swim. She didn't like to walk very much. But she does like to worship Jesus, I noticed, as I stood behind her. And I thought it was wonderful this morning, actually, to see you guys worship. It's so good to be in a place where people want to worship our living Lord Jesus. And that was beautiful this morning. And sometimes you can get used to it because you come uh, every week. But actually, I just wanted to commend you guys and say what wonderful worship uh, you guys have just had. And we've, I've really enjoyed that this morning. So, <laughs> let's get into what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, John 5. Um, I've been reading the Gospel of John in my own time. I love the, the Gospel of John. It's my favorite gospel. And this morning, I want to look at a little line that Jesus says in John 5, verse 19. And the context is sort of this. Jesus has been healing people on the Sabbath. He's healed a guy who's paralyzed, and he's done it on the Sabbath. And therefore, the leaders of the Jewish church begin to persecute him. They begin to tell him off. They begin to look for a way to kill him. And so Jesus says this in his defense. He says, My father is always at work to this very day, and I I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal to God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. And that's the verse I want to look at this morning. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Now, the prophetic types among you love this verse, don't they? All the prophetic people are like, yes, finally, someone's going to talk about only doing what we see the father doing. But if I'm honest, when I read this verse, it basically makes me feel a little bit inadequate and confused. So I'm confused. to To what extent, to what extent do we only do what we see the Father's doing? To what extent? So, does this dictate how many cu- how many uh, sugars you have in your tea? Does it dictate whether you should have a drink of water? He's only doing what he sees the Father doing. It confuses me to that extent, and it makes me feel inadequate. Am I just going on with my life? You know. I, Often, I don't think about what the Father's doing when I walk into Tesco's. Confession. Just, am I just blindly going down this path? Am I blindly stumbling forward? And there's always someone else, isn't there, that you say to them, oh, why are you wearing that top this morning? And they say, because the living Lord Jesus told me to wear it. And you think, gosh, oh, I just put mine on because it was the cleanest one to hand and it didn't require ironing. You get that, don't you? And so, what happens when I read these verses? Actually, I feel confused uh, and inadequate. And when I feel confused and inadequate, I'm not a crier. I get angry. So I get angry. So I'm reading these verses, and I'm thinking, "Gosh, what is, this? What, is, what is God talking to me about?" I feel annoyed about it. And Eugene Peterson, he says the the message guy, he says something really helpful about anger. If you're an angry person this is helpful. He says it's a useful diagnostic tool. When anger erupts in us, it is a signal that something is wrong. Something isn't working right. There is evil or incompetence or stupidity lurking about. Anger is our sixth sense for sniffing out wrong in the neighborhood. Anger has its shortcomings. It may successfully inform us that something is wrong, but rarely does it tell us what the problem is. So helpful. Anger. So when you feel angry about something, there's something going on inside of you. Someone upsets you at church. Someone says something to you. Someone's a bit dismissive, and you have this anger rush up. Actually, it's a great diagnostic tool. Something's going on inside of you, and it's probably not the fault of the person who's made you angry, or the fault of the circumstances that's made you angry, actually, it's a moment for us to look inside. It's a moment to think, God, what are you doing in this? What are you talking to me about, Holy Spirit? So we're just going to take a little moment, and we're just going to ask God, just to reveal what's going on in our hearts when we're angry, okay? So we're just going to bow our heads, open our hands if we feel comfortable doing that. Father, search us, God, know our hearts, test us, know our anxious thoughts. Lord, would you see if there's any offensive way in us, Lord, and lead us in your way everlasting. Lord, where things spike in our hearts, Holy Spirit, we give you access to speak to us deeply and powerfully. Yeah, Lord, we ask for the grace to forgive where we need to forgive. Amen. So, another good way of knowing that something is wrong is when, some, when you read something in the Bible, particularly something Jesus said, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself, he can do only what he sees his father doing, and it gets me angry or upset, I know I'm engaging with the Bible. And isn't this ironic? I only see what the Father's doing, but actually, I see what the Father's doing because it's having an effect on me, it's speaking to me, and it annoys me a little bit. I feel a little bit stressed by it. And what, and, that, and that is a way that we can tell that God is speaking to us through the Word. So if you read something, as particularly something that Jesus says and you have a reaction to it, a negative reaction to it, God the Father, by his Holy Spirit, is speaking to us. And we want to be a people, don't we, that engage with the Bible. You see, it's possible to be able to quote the Bible till you are blue in the face and not know Jesus. Jesus tells us that. It's possible to be able to recite line after line after line and yet be disobedient to what Jesus says. You know that. I know that, don't we? We know the words, but actually, it's possible to let those words just waft over us like something like a summer's breeze. Whereas, actually, we need to engage with what God is doing. When, he, when we open the word and there's a reaction from us, there's a reaction in our heart, that is an invitation to step into what God is doing. So, there I am. In my moment, with these verses, and I'm in the great traditions of Jonah, Moses, and Peter, I'm feeling a bit condemned by God, and I'm having a bit of an argument with God about these verses. Thinking, what does this mean? I don't understand it. I don't understand how that works out. But actually, if you take a look at those verses, and you stretch the context, you see what is going on, you can see that when Jesus says... I only do what I see the Father doing, rather than pointing to a heavy, fearful drudgery, this points to something much deeper and much more beautiful. So let's first just simply go a bit wider. So Jesus is defending himself against the the Jewish temple leaders for healing on the Sabbath. So starting in our verse, it says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. So it's because of God the Father's love for Jesus, that he shows him all that he does. And Jesus goes throughout the rest of this chapter talking again and again about how deeply him and the Father are entwined. Jesus says, I'm a son captivated by the Father's love. I'm a son who so loves the Father that my eyes are on him And my obedience flows from that amazing love. And doesn't that change the context of obedience? I only do what I see the Father doing because he loves me. It changes the way that we read those verses. You see, the tone that I'm reading those verses in is a slightly pompous tone. Very truly, I tell you making Jesus sound pompous, which is wrong. But I'm going to do it. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. And instead, if we look at those verses through the lens of the father 's love, it's much more of an excited I can I very very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself, he can only do what he sees the father doing because the father 's love overflows. In fact, if you look. If you look through the lens of a father who loves us, it changes the flavor of much of what Jesus says. So in the chapter before, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman by the well, the disciples come up and the disciples say to him, are you hungry? And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Now, you can read that as a slightly smug rebuke from Jesus, can't you? You think that's the sort of thing that someone says to you at church that's really annoying. You say, do you want a cup of tea? They say, no, actually, my drink is to do the Father's will, isn't it? And you feel slightly like, oh my goodness, the slightly pompous person at church is doing that thing again. He's giving you a really spiritual answer. And you say, oh, no, come on, I'm just asking you if you want a drink. But it's the way that we read it. It's the way, it's the lens that we look through. So Jesus said Jesus is so delighted in the Father. This isn't like a flash condescending moment where he says, Come on, disciples, what are you worried about? This is a moment where God's Father the God the Father's love pours out of Jesus and he says, I was doing my Father's will and I loved it so much I forgot to eat. I forgot to eat because actually being in my father's will, being where the father's love pours through me into this woman at the well made me forget about sandwiches, made me forget about drink, made me forget because the father's love is being poured into my life and being poured out through this woman. It's the way that we read it. It's the lens that we put through. In the other gospel accounts, Jesus as a young boy, if you're a parent, this is supremely irritating, isn't it? You've taken Jesus to the temple, and he's, you've lost Jesus. There's all sorts of jokes about this, but we won't bother with them, but you know, we'll, you know the jokes. So they've lost Jesus at the temple, and he comes to them, and he's like, depends how you read it again, he's like, actually, I was about, I was, did you not know I would be in my father's house or about my father's business? You know, Mary and Joseph, it's like that thing where your kid tells you something, where you say, go and do that, and they say, actually, I'm going to do something else. And you think, no, you're not, you're going to do exactly what I tell you now. If you read that with a smug, self-centered Jesus, didn't you know I would be be in my father's house and about my father's work? If you read it as a son who delights in his father, there is not a sense of drudgery, not a sense of weary obedience, but delight. This is Jesus delighting. Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Didn't you know that I would be about my father's work? Hallelujah. Before his death and and arrest and crucifixion, Jesus says to his disciples in John he says, I will, I, will say, "I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold of me, hold over me." But he comes that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what the Father has commanded me. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be made to walk this path. I'm not going to be made to walk this crucifixion road. Actually, I'm doing this because I love the Father, because the Father's love is poured out in me. Even in this moment of extreme pain, of extreme anguish, everyone has deserted him. Jesus is delighting in the Father's love the Father's love is poured out on him. Jesus isn't dully obedient. He isn't like, I must just get on with it. He's saying the Father's love is being poured out on me, even at this moment, even as I go before the cross, even as everyone has deserted me, the Father's love is poured out on me. And we read the Bible with... If we read the Bible with the lens of a loving father, it changes everything. It changes everything. Now let's be clear. Sometimes loving fathers do things that their kids don't actually enjoy that much. What I'm not saying is that there is no such thing as sin. What I'm not saying is that God doesn't do things that we don't like or that we don't understand. Peter said both Jesus said to Peter, sorry, Peter said to Jesus, you have the words of life. And some of those words of life was, get behind me, Satan. So sometimes our loving father speaks to us uh, for our rebuke, for our, uh, for our learning, for our growth. And we don't actually love it in those moments, but he is still a loving father. And that changes not only the way that we read the Bible, that changes the way that we live our lives It does. You can live your life with the lens of God as a loving father. And that changes everything. So you feel alone, you aren't alone. We have a loving father who says, I will never leave you. You feel like a command in the Bible isn't ultimately for our our good? You're wrong. We have a loving father who loves us. How do we approach mission? How do we approach telling our friends about Jesus? Do we approach it in that like, my goodness, I've just got to do it. I've just got to do it. I've just got to do it, just do, it, do it. Or do we go out as children who are loved by the Father? How do we approach prayer meetings? Do we just think, come on, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. I've got to steal myself. I've got to get up. And I've got to get up the church. And I've got to pray. Or do we, are we sons and daughters who respond to a loving Father? In our quiet times, do we think, "I just let me just smash out two chapters, and then I've done it. I've 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 uh, I've uh, reached the heights of righteousness," or do we come before a loving Father in the morning and sing? Do we come before a loving Father and say, "Holy Spirit, would you speak into my life?" I did this two two or three mornings ago. I came downstairs. I thought, "Right, I've got very little time. I'm just going to get on with it." Boom, boom, boom. And I thought, "You fool! You fool!" You're a fo- you fool. Your Father in heaven loves you. And he wants to meet with you. And he wants to hear what's on your heart. And he wants to sing songs of love over you. You see, because otherwise the, the church and the Bible, it can become just a list it's just a list of more How many things have you got to do? Well, you've got to pray in tongues, and you've got to prophesy, and you've got to... These, sorry, these are uh, me spinning plates. Uh, you've, got to, uh, you've got to read your Bible. You've got to read your commentaries. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You get all your plates spinning, and then your first plate's dropped. It can be a list that just goes on and on and on. Another to-do list before your weary head hits the pillow. Unless we have a loving Father... Unless we put a lens that looks at these things as a loving, as speaking to a loving father. So prayer is a delight. The word is his song to us. And we forgive. We forgive one another because, oh, sweet truth, we have been forgiven. And we come in the morning and even when we don't feel like doing these things, we don't feel like doing it, we open our hearts and we open our hands and we say, oh, father... Because we have a loving Father. Because God is Father. But the problem is, it's easy for me, and I'm going to assume you, to live a life and to read read into the Bible a God who isn't there. You see, I'd taken that verse... I only do what I see the father doing and I'd made up a god who was angry at me because sometimes I'm not sure what the father's doing because I'm not hearing well enough because I'm not performing well enough we make up god a god based on our experience on our experience of fathers on our experience of bosses and frankly the gods we make up are rubbish They're rubbish gods. They're fickle. They're they're fickle and they're weak because they're based on us. They're based on how we would react. They're based on what we would do rather than being based on this. In fact, my made-up God sounds worryingly like the God that Christopher Hitchens describes in his book, which is called God is Not Great, which gives you the idea of where Christopher Hitchens stands on things, right? You you follow that. He says, I think it would be rather awful if it was true. If there was a permanent, total, round-the-clock, divine supervision and invigilation of everything you did, you would never have You would never have had a waking or sleeping moment when you weren't being watched and controlled and supervised by a celestial entity from the moment of your conception to the moment of your death. It would be like living in North Korea. And he's right, isn't he? It would, wouldn't it? It would be awful. But the weird thing is, that's sort of an accurate description of what God does. Try Psalm 139 for size. Sounds similar. You have searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. For you created my my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained me were written in your book before one of them came to be and it sounds a lot like Hitchin's complaint doesn't it permanent total round the clock divine supervision and invigilation of everything you ever did and the difference the difference between King David delighting in a God who knows when he goes out or lies down who knit him together in his mother's womb and knows all the days of his life, the difference between King David's response and Hitchens' frankly disgust with a God who knows all the days of his life is, frankly, they are not talking about the same God. Hitchens is not talking about a God who is primarily Father. Father. You see, the God of the Bible, we see primarily through Jesus. The book of Hebrews opens with this bold declaration. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he is appointed heir to all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance, and it goes on. Our revelation in the Bible is through the sun. It could have been through an angel, it could have continued being through the prophets, but it's through the sun. So Jesus comes as the Son revealing the Father. And he invites us, he invites people to become sons of the Father. This is, that is the revelation of Jesus. Jesus came as a son that we might all be sons and daughters. Jesus prays so insistently that God, to God as his Father that actually the Bible translators just keep what he's saying. So that's why in your Bible it will say Abba, which means Papa. It so shocks the disciples that when they tell the Greek Christians about Jesus, they carry the same Aramaic Abba word over. In the same way Paul used Abba in both Roman and Galatians. And that's why translators today use the same pattern. Because this is what Jesus came to do. He came to show you how to pray. So he says, pray like this, Abba. Pray like this, pray to God as Father. Jesus demonstrates it. He not only prays like that, but Jesus demonstrates it in his life. Jesus demonstrates it by saying, by showing that he is a son who delights to be in his father's house, who delights to be about his father's work. In fact, he so loves his father and is so loved by his father that to do his father's work is like food and drink for him. And this is the story of the whole Bible. So what was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit doing in eternity past? They were in relationship. God was Father. So God is Father before anything else. God is Father first. God the Father's love for his Son so overflows that he makes mankind in his image that mankind might be part of this eternal relationship they might be part of this father son holy spirit and because god's father he makes life and because god's father fathers make families don't they amen So God doesn't invite the people. He doesn't invite us to come and be part of his business. He doesn't come and invite us to be part of his team or his organization because he's a father. And fathers make families. And so God's plan and God's design is to call a family to him to call a family to him across the ages, across the generations, across uh, working class and upper class, across the races. And when, when he tries to do that, he does that with Israel, he tries to draw this, draw this family to him, to be his family, that actually through that family he might adopt in the nations of the earth. When that fails because of sin, when that, fa- when that, when that fails because of mankind's inability, to live righteously, he sends his Son who comes revealing the Father and inviting us to become sons and daughters in his family so that the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit might be re-established. You see, God is a Father. He's a Father first, and he's a Father foremost. And so he calls us again and again into relationship. Galatians says this. It says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the spirit who calls out abba father so you are no longer a slave but god's child and since you are his child god has made you also an heir you see when we open this and when we live our lives we have to remember and we have to delight in and we have to enjoy the fact that we are not worker bees we're not called into slavery but we are called into a family because we're called by a father so what i'd love to do now is i'd just love to pray for it i'd just love to pray for us so we stand we come to you father god this morning and we say we love you lord we thank you for your plans and your promises and we ask holy spirit would you touch our hearts would you let us know our adoption as sons and daughters yeah. Yeah, we ask again. So come, Holy Spirit, come and touch our hearts. Come and touch our lives. Come and touch our thinking. Come and touch every part of us. Father God, we thank you that you've not given us a spirit of fear, Lord. You've given us a spirit that cries out Father. Lord, I pray for these people here this morning. I pray for this church. I pray that that would be the heartbeat of this church. The heartbeat of everyone's life, knowing that you are their father, knowing that you love them, knowing that you've called them. And I pray, Holy Spirit, for those that feel something other or something different to that, Lord, I pray that you would break that in your name, Lord, and that you would cause us to be men and women who live in our adoption, who live in your in the truth that you are Father over our lives. Amen.